Welcome to Speaking of Grace, the weekly message podcast from the Whole Life Church in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation committed to our mission of loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. We are committed to our vision of being a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. family. Good to see you. And I'm going to go to camera three and say to all the people at home, hey, good to see you there. I don't know if we're there yet or not, but hey, we hope you're doing well. And I said good to see you. Don't worry, we can't really see you. It's all right. So if you're in your pajamas, you're all good. We are so happy to be a part of the whole life family, aren't we? I'm not just talking about my family. I hope the rest of you are too, right? Yeah. What a great worship this morning. Thank you so much. The music's phenomenal. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Let me ask you a question. What's somebody said to you that has made you feel the warmest and fuzziest inside? Like, think of a time that somebody said something that just made you feel affirmed as a human being. Probably for me, one of the most affirming things that's been, that's been said to me was by my wife, Rochelle, when we were on a trip together. We were driving, and we were talking about our relationship. We were talking about the things that we'd been through over the years. And Rochelle said, she looked over at me, she said, you know, Ken, what's the most amazing thing, the most special thing, the thing I love about us most? I said, no, what? And she said, well, she said, you have seen me at my absolute worst, and you still love me. And I have seen you. At your absolute worst, and I still love you. If I were to define what acceptance is, and I'm going to, that's how I would define it. You know, for the next several weeks, we're talking about the values that make whole life whole life. We started off last week with the value of love, which I told you is the value that influences every other value. Every other value that we have flows out of love. And there's, that's no exception for today's topic of acceptance. Acceptance flows out of love. But if we want to be honest for a moment, if we're defining acceptance as loving someone as is, which is what I'm going to suggest to you the, the definition of acceptance is in very practical terms, loving somebody as is. Can we all be honest that we don't do a great job at that? There are a lot of barriers that get in the way. And I want to talk about a couple of those barriers and what we can do about them today. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are here with us. We know this because you told us where two or three are gathered in your name, you are there with them. As we talk a little bit about that verse and some of the deeper meaning to it today, Lord, I pray that you would speak to all of our hearts, including mine, because, Lord, I know you're going to speak instead of me today. People may hear my voice, but, Lord, I pray that they would really hear you speaking to them. We ask these things in your name. Amen. So what are some of the barriers to acceptance that you can think of? Let's see if you come up with some of the same ones that I do. The first barrier that I would want to suggest to you in acceptance is this one. I'll accept you when. 
we get taught this at an early age, right? If you do this, then I will do that, right? Our parents do it. I'm a parent. I've done it. When you do this, then I will. And there are appropriate places for that, but at the same time, there is a message that sometimes gets deeply ingrained in us that we're not good enough as is, that there's something about us that has to change in order for someone else to accept and love us. Think about, think about the people that you might send that message to. It's easy to think about the people who, who send that message to us, right? But who might you actually be sending that message to? I'll accept you when. The notion is that when you're worthy of love, I'll give you love. I will give you acceptance when you've earned it. When I think about this one, I think about, uh, about Barney and Paul. You've heard their story, right, Barney and Paul? They had a young associate named Mark, and they were going on a business trip. And they were taking Mark along with them. And let's just be honest, Mark was kind of a little young, a little immature. And these two seasoned professionals were killing it. I mean, they were doing great. But the whole time, Mark was whiny about the trip. The food isn't what I'm used to. The transportation is uh," the whole time. And so they get about a third of the way into their trip. And Mark bails. This is it. I'm out of here. And they're both naturally not happy about that. Well, a little time goes by, and it's time for another business trip. And Paul and Barney are headed out again. And Barney says to Paul, he says, hey, let's grab Mark and bring him along. And Paul's like, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not going to bring him along. That's not going to happen. Barney's like, oh, I think he's probably grown up. No, this is too, our business is too important to be bringing along a wet blanket, somebody that we're going to have to, to, you know, change his diapers pretty much. I mean, we're just, we're having to do everything to take care of this kid. No, absolutely not. We're not going to bring him along. And, and Barney and Paul, who are really good friends, butted heads so hard that they actually decided to go in separate directions. And Barney, who most of you, if you read the Bible and are really super familiar with Bible stories, we call Barnabas. Barnabas picks uh, Mark to go with him Paul says, forget that. I'd rather, I'd rather lose a friendship than have to hang out with that guy for the rest of the trip. He's going to kill our ministry if we bring him along. I just want you to know Paul was wrong. The guy who wrote half of the New Testament made a pretty big mistake here. Why do we know that he made a mistake? Well, the reason that we know he made a mistake is because he says a little bit later, many years later, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, hey, um, I only have Luke with me. I'm kind of lonely. Bring Mark with you when you come, speaking to Timothy, for he'll be helpful to me in my ministry. What? Mark could be helpful in ministry? Well, maybe the reason Mark was helpful in ministry was because Barnabas accepted Mark as is, recognizing that perfection isn't the goal, but rather to be in relationship. And because Barnabas took a chance on Mark, Mark became useful in ministry. 
So many of us give up on people. We don't accept them as is. And what we do is we not only hurt ourselves, but we hurt them in the process by not allowing them to reach their full potential by being in relationship with them. We think that they need to fix it rather than living in relationship with them that shows them how to fix it. It's a hard one for me, isn't it? It's a hard one for you too, I'm sure. It's difficult to have that. But Paul, later on, recognized he'd been wrong. So what are some of the things that you're doing? I'll love you when, I'll accept you when. What are some of the people that drive you nuts and you just, if they would change this, then I would let them, whatever it is. Who are those people for you? I've got a couple. These are people that we need to be praying for. We need to be praying not for them only, but for our change of heart. Because acceptance means loving people and entering into a relationship with them as is. Aren't we glad that God accepts us as in is when we were still sinners? Christ died for us as is. So that's the first barrier. I'll accept you when. Second barrier that I'd like to suggest to you is this one, agreement. I think this is the most common, the most common excuse within Christian circles for not accepting. Well, if I spend time with them, it will appear that I'm agreeing with their lifestyle. I'm agreeing with this or that or another thing. And so the the argument is, is that if we enter into relationship with this person, that somehow we're condoning their behavior. Can we talk about Jesus for a minute? You remember the story of Zacchaeus? We little man was he. Okay, I'm sorry. I just had to throw that in. All right, so uh, Zacchaeus, if you recall the story, climbs a tree because he wants to try to see Jesus, right? And Jesus does something very profound. We don't really recognize how profound it is in our culture, but Jesus called out Zacchaeus' name. He said, Zacchaeus, come down because I'm going to your house today. And so he didn't actually sing it, I don't think, but he might have, we don't know. Um, So he says this, right? He says, come on down. What's profound about this is in ancient times, particularly in Jesus' time, you did not call out the name of somebody that you were not in relationship with. To know somebody's name meant that you knew who they were, what their character was, and so you would not actually refer to somebody by name unless you were in some kind of relationship with them. So right off the bat, before Jesus even knows Zacchaeus, he says, I'm in a relationship with you. And by the way, I know who you are too. I know you're the tax collector that nobody else in town likes, that everybody despises. You are the the pariah of the religious community. But I'm in relationship with you. And I'm saying it in front of a crowd of people. He didn't just kind of go find him off to say, hey, you know, we can be buzzed. No, he says right in front of a group, Zacchaeus, come down because I'm coming to your house to eat today. Again, just like today. I mean, imagine... (laughs) 
if you walked up to me today here at church and said, hey, Ken, we're coming over to your house to eat today. And I would be like, cool. And my wife would be like, ah! And, and no, Rochelle would be awesome. Well, I don't know. I, maybe I don't want to say that because then who knows how many people are going to come up to me today. But anyway, <laughs> but the, you get the point, right? Jesus says, I'm coming over. You only would do that with somebody you felt very close to, that you knew it was okay for you to do that with. And again, for Jesus to go eat in his house in that time, in that place, symbolized that Jesus was friends with him, that they were close, that they were tight. In many circles, they thought that it meant that Jesus was in agreement because that's what friendship meant in those times. If you, you weren't friends with people that you weren't in agreement with. But Jesus kind of clears this whole notion up a little bit later in a different part of, of the Gospels. In Luke chapter 7, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says this, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a heavy drinker, a friend of tax collectors and a sinner. And yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Jesus actually had to address this because people were saying this guy is a drunk and a glutton. And the reason you would get called that is because you are hanging out with such people. I don't believe Jesus was those things, but he was hanging out with those people. Dare I mention to you that while I worked in television news that I would go to the bar with the people that I worked with because I realized that that's where they went after work. And if I didn't do it, there was no chance of relationship with them. That's not saying that I drank. I never had a drink the whole time. I had to pay $6 for a Sprite. It was amazing. <laughs> but, um, but it was worth it to be in relationship. And Jesus points this out. And I want you to catch that last little sentence. And yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. What happened when Jesus invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house? When he said, I'm going to enter into relationship with you. Zacchaeus says, that's it. I want to pay back everybody I've robbed. I'm going to do five times as much. You realize that when Zacchaeus says what he's going to pay back, it's more than the law required. You see, that's what true acceptance does. It doesn't take us to the letter of the law. When we truly accept and love people, we actually inspire them to go beyond the letter of the law. Because wisdom is vindicated by her children. And what are, the, what are the fruit of acceptance? Change lives. It happened in Mark's life. It happened in Zacchaeus' life. Start naming some people. What would have happened if Jesus would have waited to be in agreement with people? How many disciples would he have had? He certainly wouldn't have had the ones he, that he picked. We've got to get rid of, as Christians, this notion that by being around sinners or those we disagree with, that that in some way says that we're in agreement with everything that's going on in their life. I would hazard a guess that if you knew me really well, you would not be in agreement with everything in my life. I've got some things that need to change. So I'm grateful that God doesn't wait for that. And I'm grateful that as a church, we understand that whole life that, 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 that the idea that agreement equals, or acceptance means agreement, that that's, that's, that's not the case. 
Acceptance means I love you as is. I care about you. Not doesn't mean I agree with everything you do. The final barrier that I want to suggest to you, and this may be the most difficult one, is destructive behavior. I think this is a really hardship when it comes to accepting people at times, when they, when they exhibit destructive behavior, abusiveness. And what I think we need to understand about acceptance is acceptance doesn't mean that you have to be a doormat for the world to walk all over. It doesn't mean that you have to stay in an abusive relationship and endure it because somehow that's not Christ-like. You can be accepting and still have strong, firm boundaries in your life. At some point, people have to make a decision whether they want to be in a relationship with you. They have to make that decision. If You can't just say, well, you get to abuse me any which way you want. At some point, you have to say, if abusing me is what it takes, and that may sound like a contradiction to that first, I'll accept you when. And this is where God, we need God's wisdom on this. Because it's not a contradiction to have boundaries in your life when somebody's exhibiting bad behavior. We'll go ahead and use an example from the book of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, um, there's this uh, moment where a, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there's a guy who's uh, exhibiting destructive behavior to the, to the early church. And Paul actually advises them. He says, get rid of them, hand them over to Satan, <laughs> and which is kind of strong language. Um, and so that doesn't sound very accepting, Right. The only thing is that if you go on to 2 Corinthians, the second chapter, Paul's like, hey, the guy's sorry. Let him come back. Let him come back. You see, acceptance says, I'm not going to let you walk all over me, but, the, but if you are willing to not be abusive, to not do things that are destructive, I'm ready to enter into relationship when you're ready. Matthew 18 kind of tells us this, this method. The first step in Matthew 18 is you go to the person. Now, that might not always be the best thing to do in our society. If somebody is dangerous, walking up and trying to have a conversation with them might not be the best thing to do. It might be better to send an email. It might be better to have another person come with you if that's the case or to find some neutral place. But in in Jesus' recommendation, you find a way to privately talk to that person about the issue you're having. And then after that, you take two or three witnesses with you to do that. And this is actually the the verse. I want you to take a look at it because we're going to talk about this a little bit more. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you. And by the way, this is an Old Testament principle that Jesus is pulling in. There are two or three witnesses in the Old Testament that would come along and to be, uh, that would testify that, yes, this is what's happened and this is the end. Then judgment could come down. And so take them so they can be confirmed by two or three witnesses. And so after that, if this person's still not willing to change, if they're still not willing to, to make the changes that need to be made, Jesus says, then bring it before the whole church. Now, the important thing to know about this is um, this is for fellow believers. This has nothing to do with people who aren't believers. If they're not a believer, this is a completely different story. In fact, 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about, he says, this is, I'm only talking to you about if, if we're trying to say, stay away from people who exhibit uh, all this stuff, you'd never be able to stay away from all those people if you're talking about the world. But when it comes to believers, this is the way that you handle it. And so in the final step, you bring them before the church. And if the church says, yeah, this is a problem, that's when what happens in Corinthians happens where you say, okay, hey, we're gonna need to take a step back from this relationship because what you're doing is destroying 
the church and relationships. Keep in mind, at no point does one person make that decision by themselves. Think about that for a minute. Because a lot of us are quick to write other people off and not see the whole picture. And so we need the wisdom of others around us to guide us on this. So here's what becomes interesting. We often separate Matthew 18, verse 16, from 19 and 20. You've heard this one. I also tell you this. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as followers, I am there with them. Right? You've heard that. We usually, we, we keep that separate from Matthew 18, the principles of reconciling. But what did you notice? Did you see if two of you agree? Remember those two witnesses? The interesting thing is that what Jesus is doing here is he does this really amazing wordplay. He basically says, take two or three to execute judgment. And then once the judgment's been executed, what's these people's role now? To pray. To pray for the person who's who you've had to say, hey, here's the boundary. And if you're not willing to live within it, now you're gonna need to step out. What are you praying for? To bring them back. To bring them back into relationship. You see, the prayer is never, thank goodness we finally got rid of that joker. Now we can be done. The prayer is always, hey, we're only removing so that the person can hopefully recognize the the destruction that's being caused so we can bring them back into relationship again. Because that's what it means when you say, Jesus says in, 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 uh, he says, treat them like tax collectors. How did Jesus treat tax collectors? Zacchaeus, Matthew, he brought them into relationship with himself. So there's no point where Jesus gives us permission to cut off relationship for all time with anybody. Anytime that person is willing to go ahead and do what it needs to be done to be constructive and not destructive in the relationship, then Jesus says, yes, yes come back into relationship with me. So what are a couple practical steps to accepting others? Let's, first thing is to be honest. We lie to ourselves a lot, a lot. You want to read a good book on that, read Leadership and Self-Deception. It tells about how we try to keep people in boxes all the time, and we never let them out of the box. But the first thing is to be honest with ourselves. One of the best ways to know whether you're being honest with yourself is to ask a neutral person. Am I, am I really seeing this? This is how I'm feeling about this person. So ask. After you've done that, analyze the situation. What's causing you not to accept that person? What is it that's going on there? Is it them or is it something in your past, some baggage that you may be carrying that's causing you to have a hard time to accept that person? The next thing I would tell you to do is to pray about it. Bathe it in prayer. Pray not just for that person to change, but for your heart to change. More often than not, I find in the relationships that I that I am having a difficult time. It's not the other person who really needs to change. It's me. Yeah, they might need to change, but God's actually put that person in my life because there's something that I need to go ahead and deal with from my past or what's going on in my life. The final thing that I want to invite you to do is to give the opportunity to engage that person. After you've looked at what's going on, engage that person. It's amazing to me how many times we hate people, but we've never talked to them. We've never had a relationship. We've never engaged them in a meaningful way. And when we hear their story, we hear where they're from, we go, yeah, that makes sense that you're being that way. And you're just looking for love. And what you need is acceptance. I want to suggest to you that deep down in the heart, The human soul is a desire to be loved, to be loved for who we are, not simply for who others wish we were. We all want to be loved that way, but we all are very slow to give that kind of love. I know why I'm this way, but you don't have that right. We all want to be loved as is. In its purest form of relationship, we don't wish the change for our sake, but for the others. 
In other words, when we want somebody to change in its purest form of love, we don't do it because it'll make me more comfortable, but because it will make your life better to have that change occur. You know, our love doesn't equal agreement. It means that we value relationship over perfection. I'll say that again. We value relationship over perfection, like Jesus. I want to make an unequivocal statement as your senior pastor. All who wish to enter the doors of whole life, all who wish to be loved as is, are not only welcomed, but longed for. All. Does that mean we have no boundaries? It does not. But what it means is, is that if you want to be here, we want you here. You belong here and you are loved. We echo what Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your soul. This is us. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians, all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church slash podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. 